Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. About 20 years ago, Tom Brokaw wrote a book called The Greatest Generation uh, about the World War II generation. And as I was preparing for a 4th of July message, I was kind of thinking about that. And, and I did a little bit of exploring, and I stumbled across Merle Connor. Now, has anyone heard the story of Garland Merle Connor? Merle, he was just a southern Kentucky tobacco farmer, small little farm. When his son Paul would ask him, you know, what did you do in the war, Dad? You know, Merle would just say, we went over there, we did what had to be done, and it stays over there. Nobody in his family knew anything about Merle's service in World War II. Not his wife, not his children, until about two years before Merle died. In 1996, uh, a former Army Green Beret, uh, Richard Chilton, reached out to Merle because Chilton wanted to know more about his uncle who had died on the Anzio beachhead. Merle had served with his uncle, in fact. Merle was the one who carried his uncle to the aid station before his uncle passed away. And Merle's wife suggested that perhaps Chilton could look through Merle's army records to see if he could find out anything more about his uncle. So for the first time in 50 years, Merle's green army duffel bag is pulled out of storage and Chilton starts to look through the records and his eyes grew wide as he realized this old, frail, little farmer sitting in front of him who couldn't even talk anymore that he was a war hero. His eyes widened as he saw the the Purple Hearts, the Bronze Star, the Four Silver Stars. Merle had served on the front lines for 800 days. Merle had been involved in 10 major campaigns. Merle had been wounded seven seven times in each one of the areas that he served in. And earlier this week, five years ago, Lieutenant Garland Connor was awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously in the Oval Office. I share this story because, well, first of all, we as Christians want to be a thankful people. And one of the ways that we can be thankful is to, to look back and see how God used people in the past that we didn't even know 
to bless us, that we enjoy freedom today because of the incredible sacrifice of others. But there's another reason why I wanted to, to use Merle as, as just a, a symbol of the greatest generation. You see, the person who is the main character of our study today also could look back at a previous generation and say, my dad was a symbol, a perfect picture of the greatest generation. The person that we're going to focus on today is King Manasseh, a little-known king for most of us near the end of Judah and Jerusalem before they were taken off into exile in Babylon. His dad was Hezekiah. And if you ever have a chance to go to Jerusalem, you will see evidence of Hezekiah's greatness and the, the greatness of that generation. You'll see the broad wall, uh, the, the foundations of a 22-foot thick fortification that Hezekiah and his generation built to keep Jerusalem safe from the invading Assyrians. You'll probably have a chance to, to wade through Hezekiah's tunnel, a 1,750-foot engineering marvel winding its way through the, the mountain that the old city of Jerusalem was built on, bringing the water from the Gihon Spring from the east side of that mountain through the mountain to the west side to the pool of Siloam, so the Assyrians couldn't get that water, but it would be safe for the people of Jerusalem as they survived the siege. But this isn't really why Hezekiah was a marvelous example of the greatest generation. What was really amazing about Hezekiah, what makes him truly great, is how he responded when the Assyrian army commander wrote a threatening letter to Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem telling them, surrender or else. Hezekiah took that letter and he spread it out before the Lord in the Lord's temple. And he and the prophet Isaiah prayed. And the Lord heard the prayer. And 185,000 Assyrian arm, army soldiers died that night, and the city was saved. Hezekiah was of the greatest generation because of his devotion to the Lord. Certainly Manasseh could have looked back and seen that. I would invite you to turn with me. If you have Bibles with you, uh, you picked up a Bible, it's on page 460. Otherwise, I'd, I'd encourage you to open up your Bible apps to 2 Chronicles 33, because we're going to be plowing through some history, and I think it's easier for you if, you if you can follow along as I read it. Now, as you're turning there, though, I, I would like to, to start a couple of verses before 2 Chronicles 33. As the chronicler describes the, the last, you know, his last description of the greatest generation. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 32, it says, The other events of Hezekiah's reign and all his acts of devotion are written in the vision of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, 
in the book of the kings uh, of Judah and Israel. Hezekiah rested with his ancestors and was buried on the hill where the tombs of David's descendants are. All Judah and the people of Jerusalem honored him when he died. It is fitting to honor the greatest generation. But sad to say that the next generation was not a greatest generation. It was a generation of excess. Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. And in chapter 33, we, we, we hear the excesses of Manasseh's generation. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. And then I'll jump down to verse 9. Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray. In other words, it's not only what he did, but the influence he had on the people. So that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. <coughs> if anybody was ripe for judgment, it was Manasseh. His was a generation of excess. And what's scary is, you know, I, just the way I'm wired, I, I see comparisons, and I just see some frightening comparisons between the excesses of Manasseh's generation and our own. Manasseh's generation was, was sex-soaked. You see, the Baal and Asherah worship that he set up, that was the Canaanite fertility gods. And you worshipped Baal and Asherah by consorting with temple prostitutes. Isn't our generation a sex-soaked society, too? People are told that, that it's an appetite. You just, you cannot resist. You, you, you shouldn't try to hold back your sexual desires. Christian singles, you're struggling very often with, with the society around you that, that ignores what God has said about this marvelous gift. God said already in the Garden of Eden, in this state of perfection, a, a person will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two, man and woman, will become one flesh. So there's this lifelong commitment that's public to mom and dad before you are in a safe place to enjoy this marvelous gift. But sadly, even Christian singles struggle 
because our society is saying, this is where you start, and maybe you'll have some kind of lifelong commitment, and then you tell mom and dad. How many people are living with incredible scars in their hearts because of the excesses of this society? It's a society ripe for judgment. Manasseh's generation, they sacrificed their kids. But maybe our generation isn't all that much better. Do we really value children as greatly as our God does? Or do we kind of snicker when the psalmist says about children, happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. And Manasseh's generation, they wanted to know things about the spirit world. They consulted mediums and spiritists, but, but they were spiritual, not religious. Sound familiar? You read Manasseh's story, and, and it just causes you to shiver. The judgment day is certainly coming. And yet, we're looking at this text in the midst of a message series about agape, God's undeserved love, a love that shows itself without limit. And why we're looking at Manasseh, this despicable person of excess today is revealed in the next verses. If you still have your Bible apps or Bibles open, take a look at verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. You have to look at 2 Kings chapter 21 where Manasseh's reign is also described to hear the message that the, the prophet spoke to Manasseh. They clearly warned that if he continued in their, his sinful state that the Lord would send the Assyrians and they would come and they would, they would take the, the bowl of Jerusalem and they would tip it upside down and wipe it out and be completely emptied. But they paid no attention. So the Lord sends his word but it has no impact on Manasseh. And so the Lord then turns up the heat, verse 11. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, and bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. Now this kind of sounds like a God who has said, I have reached the limit of my love. I'm going to send these Assyrians to, to punish Manasseh. But notice at the text who it is who sends the Assyrian army commanders. It is the Lord, Lord in all capital letters. Lord in all capital letters in the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Sometimes it's pronounced Jehovah. This is God's personal Savior name. This is the name that's based on what the Lord said about himself to Moses when he said, I am that I am. That he is the God who is absolutely unchanging, 
and he is independent. He is not dependent on you to make him who he is. I am who I am. It is the Lord whose love is unchanging and independent, who loves Manasseh even though Manasseh is his enemy and acting as his enemy. The Lord still loves Manasseh, and it's the Lord, the Savior God, who sends the Assyrians to put a hook through Manasseh's nose, to call him to repentance. Because the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they turn from their evil ways and live. And it works. Take a look at verse 12. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. This was God's desire all alone, uh, all along. You know, sometimes we may feel like that, that we have reached the limit of God's love. And, and humanly speaking, you read about Manasseh, there's stuff that, that is not recorded. Church history tells us that we're pretty sure Manasseh is the one who cut the prophet Isaiah in half. What a despicable guy. He has certainly reached the limit of the Lord's love. And yet, the Lord's love was limitless. Not in the sense that there's never going to be a judgment day, but that there was no sin that Manasseh committed that was so great that the Lord's saving love would not be able to forgive. This is what I want us to celebrate today as we think about Manasseh. Every one of us can look at ourselves and we can recognize that we too deserve God's judgment. That we are influenced by the society of excess around us too. That we have to pray with David, remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. But there is no sin that you and I have committed that is beyond the limit of God's ability to forgive. That's why we celebrate and why we confess that the one who died on that cross is God himself. If Jesus, if God shed his blood for you, then there is no limit to the forgiveness that God can give you. No matter what you and I have done, there is forgiveness in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from every sin. His love is limitless. Oh, but we'll still have to deal with the scars. You know, at, at the ministry growth team, somebody said, just imagine the scar that Manasseh would see every time he looked at himself, you know, and his, saw his reflection. You know, a hook through your nose, that, that's got to leave some pretty ugly scars, right? Just imagine Manasseh, every time he looked at his reflection, would see those scars. And, and that's true of all of us, right? We all have scars. They may not be physical scars, but we all have emotional scars. We have spiritual scars as we mourn uh, the sinful decisions of the past, the, the sinful actions of the past. They leave scars on our soul, and the devil wants to use those scars to think, see, you are beyond the limit of God's love. But 
God wants us to use those scars to, to be reminded that the Lord's love to me was without limit and is without limit. I am forgiven. And as I see that limitless love of the Savior, it changes me. It changed Manasseh. Look at verse 15. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem. And he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings, offerings that celebrate that there is peace between us and God, and thank offerings on it. And he told Judah, so he told the rest of the people, you know, I have experienced the limitless love of the Lord. He told Judah to serve the Lord their God. He who had experienced that limitless love of God wanted others to experience that same limitless love of God. And that's our call too, right? We heard it in the gospel lesson. Jesus who showed limitless love to Judas. He knew that Judas was going to betray him and he still washed Judas' feet. He still loved Judas even to the end. That you and I then are called just as we have been loved, Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you love one another. Show limitless love. You see, this is what our nation needs right now, isn't it? Our nation doesn't need angry Christians. Our nation doesn't need Christians who look down their noses in judgment on people who make decisions and life choices that we know are contrary to God's will. God's judgment isn't what drew us to himself. What our nation needs, the service that we can render as we pledge allegiance to the flag, the service that only we as Christians can offer, is to show limitless love to people that we disagree with. To show limitless love to people that, that despise our view of life. To show limitless love to people who even are trying to, to limit how we express our faith. Because it is that limitless love that drew us to the Savior and that can draw others to the Savior too. This is what our nation needs. And who knows? Maybe 80 years from now, Christians will look back to us and say they were the greatest generation. They lived at a time when, when the nation seemed to be turning away from their Savior when the Christian faith was losing ground and by their selfless, limitless love, the nation as a whole was turned back to Jesus and we look back at them as the greatest generation because they made such an impact and changed the world. But maybe not. You see, I i got to be honest with you. We wanted to end the lesson with verse 16. 
Because verse 16 kind of has a, a happily ever after sound to it. You know, Manasseh told the people, serve the Lord their God. But I have to be honest with you and, and also read verse 17. Verse 17 says, The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. In other words, huge change in Manasseh, not much change for the nation as a whole. They continued to worship at the high places, and, and originally they were worshiping the, the Lord their God at the high places, but very Quickly, that, that again devolved into worshiping Baal and Asherah and Molech. Maybe that's why Second uh, Kings that, that records the history of God's people doesn't even mention this change in Manasseh, this, this time of repentance, because he really didn't change the trajectory of the nation. Maybe that's going to be true for us too. You see, that's something that only God can do. What I'm praying for myself is not that in 80 years somebody will look back and say, Pete was part of the greatest generation. What I'm praying for myself is, Lord, just make me a Merle. You see, Merle was part of the greatest generation not because somebody remembered him 80 years later, but because of the love he showed, especially one January night, or January day. You see, I didn't tell you why Merle got the Medal of Honor. On January 24th, a bitterly cold day in 1945, Merle was safely in battalion headquarters. You see, Merle had just suffered his seventh battle wound. A sniper hit him in the hip, and the doctors wanted him to stay there in the hospital a while longer. But he insisted on going back to his battalion. His battalion commander, the, uh, the lieutenant colonel, said, Merle, you have served long enough that you are eligible to be rotated home. Why don't you go home? Merle said, no, I can't. And then the lieutenant colonel said, well, then I'm going to keep you in the battalion headquarters to try to keep you safe. I, I don't want anything bad happening to you. But on the morning of January 24th, Merle heard in the battalion headquarters that there were six Panzer tanks approaching his K company and a battalion of 600 Germans that would certainly overwhelm, overrun the company with, with, with whom he had served. And so he begged his lieutenant colonel, let me go. And finally the lieutenant colonel allowed him to go. And so Merle ran the 400 yards from the battalion headquarters to the front line. He grabbed uh, a roll of ten telephone wire and he ran another 30 yards past the front lines, and he slid underneath a tree trunk. And from that vantage point, he called down artillery fire. For three bitterly cold, terrifying hours, he was calling down artillery fire. And through his bravery, 
all six of those panzer tanks were destroyed. And when the German soldiers recognized there was a forward spotter and they needed to take him out, they were approaching so close that finally Merle called down artillery fire on his own position because his love for his company was without limit. And the German advance was stopped. See, this is my prayer. Lord, just make me a Merle. Make me a Merle who doesn't care about the pain that I'm experiencing, who doesn't care about the wounds that other people have inflicted on me, that does not give up, that says, I want to rescue somebody. That I'm willing to run out into the battle fray. That I am willing to love people who don't love me. That I am willing to show limitless love to people who ridicule me, who object to everything that I stand for, because I want to be used by God to save a sin-scarred sinner like Manasseh, a sin-scarred sinner like me. That's all I pray for. That's what I pray for you and me, each one of us. Lord, make us merles. And then whether people 80 years from now remember us or not, we will be the greatest generation. Will the nation change? I don't know. That's a miracle that the Lord has to work. I'm just going to pray today, Lord, work a miracle in me. That I treasure your limitless love and am changed into somebody show, who shows limitless love to others. It's with that thought in mind that I'd like to close with a prayer. If you have a worship folder, on the back of the worship folder, the bottom half is a prayer that's based on uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 3, where Paul makes this marvelous prayer about love. Would you join with me in praying this prayer for ourselves and for our nation? We come before the Father, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name. We pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen the citizens of our nation with power through his spirit in their inner being, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And we pray that those who believe in Christ in our nation, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we pray that the fullness of God might overflow from their hearts and mouths in a love without limit that would draw their fellow citizens closer to Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask 
or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And I'd invite you to stand and let's join in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. What a blessing it is to be blessed by the God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Let us serve our nation on this 4th of July weekend by praying for her, and especially praying for us as Christians, that God would use us to bring the peace of the Lord to others. So let's receive his blessing as we go out to do his will. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.